This is our last session, and uh, we're going to be on facing up to the success of your efforts later on. When you finally get the joy of young teenage life in your family, and you find out whether or not any of this worked. So, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for the five sessions we've had. We're thankful for your patience with us. We'd ask that our understanding would become more acute. Our children would recognize it. In your son's name, amen. So this, this lesson is called Testing the True. And by the time, there's that old, often quoted proverb right there at the top, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It is probably maybe the most quoted verse in child Christian child training things, books, etc. I think there's a book called Train Up a Child, or To Train Up a Child. I remember my father surprised me once. He said, I don't think this is about that. I think this is about profession. You know, that you train up a child in the work, kind of the work that you, you and your family do, and he will stay with it. Now, either way, I'm not going to fight over that. Um, but it, 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 the centerpiece of it is when the training is effective, they don't depart from the training. The training takes over some of the decisions that need to be made in their life. If whatever, they, whatever you trained your child in, if they do that training, you did the training. If they don't, you didn't. If, you, um, if they don't turn out, you didn't do something. Now, in looking for what our success is, uh, earlier we had defined essentially that the child, what was it on page four, uh, the adult experience to which your children arrive must be rejoicing in a well-ordered and peaceful life. That's vague. That's vague. The scriptures, very conveniently, have a list of things that wisdom should be able to count on producing. You can produce more than this, but wisdom should be able to count on producing these five things. They show up in 1 Timothy 3. They're required of bishops. It is a measure of wisdom, not of spirituality. I want that to be clear. One of the things that Les and I have looked at over the years, people that we knew really well, and we knew where their hearts were spiritually, they were, they were solid believers. Their own walk with God was real, the blessings of God, and their kids turned away from the Lord. The kids got caught up in some sort of sin. But not because their parents had sinned against them in some way. So devout, dear Christians pleasing to God can raise bad children because devout, dear Christians pleasing to God does not include wisdom. You can take care of your Christian life without understanding much at all. That's why in the qualifications for bishop it has this test of how wise are they. 
and it lists the effect that they have in their kids. Here in both in First Timothy three and in Titus one, you will see in the bold he must manage his own household well, keeping his children submissive and respectful in every way. For if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? Speaking then of the deacons down in verse 12, and let them manage their children and their households well. Titus 1, 5, 1, 6, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of being profligate and insubordinate. So, <laughs> there you have five qualifications which wisdom can turn the tables off. That a man has proved his bona fides as a wise enough man to manage the church if he was wise enough to manage his household. Not that he was lucky enough to get placid children born to him. Because it's basically saying, well, if you're accidentally lucky with your kids, we can count on you to be accidentally lucky with the church. It's a qualification for the church. But it's a measure, again, not of spirituality, but of wisdom, capability, management. He must manage, the word I even have on the side, his presiding over his family. He was in a position in his family, that, in a membership, that had a natural love to it, that if he couldn't lead his kids to the five things, how could he lead the church? He also had a membership, like a family, a body that is bound by love. He should be able to, that, it should work that way. Now, if you look at it, break it apart, look at the five down there on the bottom of page 28. <clears throat> they are submissive, they are respectful, they are believers, they are not profligate, and they are not insubordinate. And at the end there, the last two are so loud in their behavior that other people speak of it. Because it says, open to the charge of being. That someone could say, hey, your kids are awful. And we know that in the world, and we're not talking about ecclesiology now, but it's the most neglected qualification in missionaries and in pastors that nobody makes a peep when the pastor's son ends up getting somebody pregnant. Now, all the excuses aside of what the pastors are supposed to do, it lets us know that wisdom in raising your child could count. But that's not an exhaustive list. That doesn't say a lot of things about the kid, but they're submissive, they're respectful, they are believers. Positive traits, two negative traits. Not profligate and not insubordinate. These are all adult traits. So any pastor who would say to you, well, you're not under my roof anymore. Now they're the examples of what was under your roof. It showed that you did not manage to transfer to them the kind of maturity that would make the decisions at even to represent Jesus Christ enough in your own home that they want to be believers. Now, anybody, we sent our kids to Logos School. 
there are a lot of bad parents in the Christian world. Hard to tell when they're in third grade. Because any parent, regardless how woefully inadequate they are, can overawe the child into his khakis and send him off with his uniform shirt to recite the creeds or the presidents or whatever it is that he's supposed to recite in a controlled, constrained environment. We're talking about young adult. Because young adult is where you find out whether or not your management was good. Profligacy, unbelief, insubordinate, these are all not little kids screaming in the toy aisle at Walmart. Profligacy is you joining a frat and participating. That's profligacy. Drinking up a storm, chasing loose women, what else is it? Write bad checks, whatever it is you do in modern terms. It is not the time, it's not like, what do we do with our tactics when we get to this young adult period? Eh, uh, not much you can do except preach the gospel um, at that point. Maybe maybe uh, saturation love, maybe some things that are the admissions that you messed up bad. But it's the testing time, not the change your tactic time. Uh, I mentioned before that parents who increase their discipline as, they, as their children age have admitted a failure in what they did. Um, this is not a simple, uh, it's a short list, even if you're not out for, all I'm saying in this is not that you should be a bishop. No, I am saying if you can require it of a bishop, that means wisdom can get you there. You can expect wisdom to provide these five things. You might not be wise. You might not be able to do this. You're not qualified to be bishop. But if you want to know, and a lot of people ask, how can I be sure my children will be believers? I would point to this passage and say, wisdom will lead your child to Christ. You might still, they still might become Christians even if you're not wise, but if you want to know they are, then you have to be the kind of person that is capable of leading someone who loves you to Christ. And it goes back to a lot of the things we said, knowing what Christianity is in the first place, living like it's real in your home. But you can count on it if a pastor can be required to have it. Now, what happens is there is a because a lot of times that's when your not only is your testing time evident to you, it's evident to everybody else too, because their name comes up on the police blotter uh, in the newspaper, or you hear something in the gossip circuit, or people talk, and everybody else gets to know this. So a lot of temptation lands on the parent to crush this, to become a restrictive uh, parent that they want this robustness of their of their discipline to be evident to everybody. Really, they're just failures. Um, if 
going through these five qualities, if they're not submissive, that means there wasn't adequate discipline. Someone who fights off the punishment, you didn't train by the punishment to deal with it correctly. They're not respectful. The parent is not a clear adult in relation to the clear child. You did not teach your child that you as the parent were better than they. They do not honor you as father and mother. They don't obey you. They're not believers. Which means that your life, the parent's life, was not substantially changed by their experience with the gospel. Why would they think theirs will be? Your life wasn't. And what's interesting here is, and I didn't, you know, as I was thinking about it, I just sort of spotted it. Oh, those were the topics of our first three talks. The religion, the adulthood, the discipline, They're also profligate. They're also insubordinate. Now, there's a reason we've got a problem. The profligacy and the, insub the, profligacy and the insubordination. Up yours, says the child. I don't really think, I don't know how many times I've heard from some sophomore in college well, I've been really doing some thinking, and I really found some doubts about, you know, the Bible. No, you didn't, jackass. What you did is you found out you want to date a girl and you want to get laid. And you know you can't get laid if you keep insisting on all this religion thing. So you got to somehow have an, an epiphany about Jesus. But people, whatever they're doing, they're up to no good. And we want to know, what is it that... It, it, we, we say puberty, or we say adolescence. And uh, I don't like adolescence because it's sort of an artificial phase. We know that puberty kicks in, and massive shifts happen physically, physiologically. But it's also not just physiological. It's a... Um, they become far more aware they exist. A child plays out in the yard, you know, at the age of six. They're playing and they're having a good time. They don't know they exist. They have, they have not a clue they exist. They're just accepting it on faith. You start thinking about your own existence at a certain point in time. But what is going on is what is what wars against you as the parent? What is the new challenge? It's not like, oh, enough time has gone by and we're seeing if our kids turn out. No, this is a crucible. This is a this is a testing ground. This something rises up and says, we're going to go three rounds and we're going to see who's standing at the end of it. You're being challenged. What you did for 14 years is now being challenged by these things. Now, these are three things that I think are biblical. It comes out of John, 1 John 2. 
Do not love the world or the things in the world. For anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. It's very hard to render those out of a, a child in their minority. Lust of the flesh? Oh, you get some kids that eat too much. But desires of the flesh aren't really as addictive to that age group. Uh, they're guys that got conscious. Lust of the eyes, I think, is you don't might agree with me, but I think it has to do with beauty, art, the pride of life. All of those things, those three things, come home in spades when you hit puberty. They come home in the form of the society, which is your relationship with all other. How do I fit in? What group am I in? How do I stand? What ring do I belong to? Those things all get measured out to the kid as um, you, you can't imagine the emotional outbursts you will countenance from your children. I can remember standing in J.C. Penney's with a child of mine, them in tears over a jacket brand name. Because Nike, I think it was Nike, was required. Adidas was not good enough. No. It was cut exactly the same way, with exactly the same colors, but there was an Adidas word on there and not a Nike. And I had a child sobbing in public. After we had bought a Nike jacket, they had promptly lost it on a school field trip. There was no way I was going to buy them, even the Adidas, because I was going to buy them a J.C. Penney's brand. And I mean, the insult, <laughs> sobbing. What could I? It was awful. And I said, "What am I dealing with here? It's some kind of mental breakdown." <laughs> because society, the pride of life, and I don't think it's an unnatural or a immoral thing. I just think it is. It is thing that we need to know where we stand in our society. And all sorts of other temptations about our arrogance, our pride, our fears, our hopes, our dreams, our meanness, you know, whatever else there might be and how we treat society, stand on that ground to act because it matters that much. It's like any lust, it matters that much. And you have to realize these three things are going to challenge your wisdom about everything, because they didn't have any of these things, and you were just paddling their little rear end for, you know, screaming a little bit, and for disobeying on the raking the yard, and being retarded about raking the yard. <laughs> and, you, and you thought you'd wandered your way through all those years, and your kids were wearing khakis to school, and you thought you were set. And all of a sudden, your son is horny. wants a Nike jacket bad. His main brain's been turned to scrambled eggs by girls. And for some reason, he thinks Third Eye Blind is better than Led Zeppelin. <laughs> for some reason. You know, because you probably, I don't know if you've heard of Third Eye Blind. Nobody has, because they're losers. But you've all heard of Led Zeppelin, because they're not. Well, those are the three.
free areas, you suddenly find as a parent front-loaded into your life at the dinner table, it'll be girls or boys, it'll be where they stand in society, and we wear their little society what kind of new system of beauty that they're insisting that they desperately adore and then desperately argue in favor of and then desperately argue that they could join the Columbia Record Club because you get 11 records for a penny. I said, no, you don't. <laughs> Which they have thanked me for <laughs> later on because they realized, oh, father was wise. So, the society, the sex, not food. I mean, some people struggle with food, but when you say the desires of the flesh, you're talking about the nasty, okay? You're not talking about, oh, I have a trouble with gluten. Beauty, desire of the eyes. If they don't love the Father, they will love the world. And if they love these things, this is, this is the challenge, not only of each one individually, but the challenge of the spirituality of your home is the love for the Father that they are supposed to be the image of stronger in them. Now, how I want you to think, again, you don't have to be convinced by this, but think about and consider this approach. And I've made about three boxes of these unused um, slides that I'll point out to you all together here. On page 3031, upper left-hand corner, think of being stronger with and superior to society. Middle of page 30, think of being stronger in and superior at the sex. Top of 31, think of being stronger for and superior about the beauty. Now what we advise, you can disregard this, this is a challenge, this is a throwdown. This is, this is a knife fight over your children's future. You're either going to convince them that everything you did for 14 years was a waste and was not strong, was just something, okay, you could be counted on to babysit but not handle real people. Because when a parent, when society comes on strong and the parent thinks, well, we have to maintain our child's innocence, and so they run away. Running away, what's that song about Brave Brave Sir Robin? Um, <laughs> it's tucked his tail and ran. And he keeps trying to shut them up because he doesn't want it known that he ran away. You shouldn't either. In any of these things, if you try to put, again, I wrote to you not to associate with immoral men, not at all meaning the immoral of this world. If Christianity is a better way, it ought to be a better way. And the wise parent is going to know that everything they say, they set up a fated audience, an audience that is eager to believe what mother and father believe, will favor your opinion, if it shows up and has at least a modicum of challenge to the society of the world. 
so that when you invite their friends over, when you invite their friends over, you step into it and you encourage them to have their friends over. So the combination of your strength socially, where you say, no, I, I, I don't want these bad boys in my house, and you lose, just, just write your kid off now. You don't want bad boys in your house. You mean you're going to let your child's future be decided by you not wanting bad boys. You just admitted that you're not as strong and they would win if it came to a fight. But if they come into your house and um, you know, Leslie would lay down the rules for all the kids. Just When you're over here, this is what you do before you get a, something to eat. You always wash your hands at the sink. You call me Mrs. Wilson. You know, whatever. I don't know what the rules were. Um, but she had rules for it and loved it. They, they loved it. The society here was being demonstrated as stronger in their minority. And then when our kids hit their majority, early majority, and they realized late high school <clears throat> that Mr. and Mrs. Wilson for the last 20 years had had college students living with them, all these high school kids would come over and they would they would say, oh, Mr. and Mrs. Wilson have actually know what's going on. Not because we were relating to the youth, believe me, but because we understood or wanted to understand society better and provide a society that was stronger than the society that was coming in with all of its excitement. You try to create this, this nice Ovaltine society in your you know, family home evening moments where you get to have just clean Christian shoots and ladders fun. And all of a sudden this society comes in with riding around town late at night in a car with boys. They've got something to offer. They've got an inclusion, that a belonging. Have you thought and prayed about and are working towards, your, most of your kids are young, thought about praying towards how dominant will your home be in defining a society inside which your kids proudly exist and want to bring their friends into. That when you talk to your own children, you can talk to them about ministering to their friends. Where, you, where we did with our kids, we said, well, what's up with so-and-so? And they'd say, well, he's, his family's just a wreck. And I said, well, how are we going to minister to him? How are we going to make him feel loved? We want to have him over. We want to have this, that, and the other thing. And all of a sudden, our kids were given enough reason to think our society was a stronger, greater society, a superior society. And then it wasn't pushed down, it pushed their society down a flight of stairs. It was bring their society in, welcome it, operate as if it was an object of love. If you think nothing is worse, and I'm, when I'm saying society, I mean actual society, not Christian society. Okay? When you have a society, um, P. 
people get so full of certain words. I hate the word community. They, everybody just is such a full of its spiritual value. We don't want to have a society that is so full of itself and spiritual value that it doesn't seem real or strong to your children. Too many churches or families think that they can shape up usually a society that is 10 years minimum behind the world. They finally pick up something. We can rap too now. Okay. Even with black guys. We hired some black guys to be rapping for us. And um, it hurts. It's painful. Um, and they will imitate it poorly. They'll imitate the world. And I'm not saying imitate the world and imitate it poorly. We're saying have a better society than the world has. And not a particularly Christian one. It's a society in which Christians are, but it's not... It's, it's you functioning politely with a level and height that society deserves. It needs things that are lifted up. Um, with everybody trying to just imitate the worldliness and call it Christian and then compete for the young people because all the kids in your church are chomping at the bit to break loose and so at least while they're in junior high they're kind of thrilled with the silliness of your trend conscious imitation ministry but uh, as I point out in the notes it's a dork factory if they believe it if they go with it they're dorks they will figure it out a lot of them this really is not it so Engaging in culture, you have to have a real culture. And it's not, and it, and it ought to be, just as a tip on culture, it ought to have a spontaneous naturalness out of you. Lewis argues for this in Lilies That Fester, that people who go after uh, creating the right kind of response to the right kind, of, it's not the Christians going, yes, and we like Shakespeare too. You know, they're not on rap, but they show that they like good wines and Shakespeare. Now, be the kind of culture that you understand and that is natural for you. And show a real interest in it. If a person's into baseball or golf, you know, things that are not uh, pretentious, but you want them to be real. When Lewis talks about the young boy coming from a sherry party where everybody is speaking cataracts of culture and nobody really knowing what they're talking about, getting onto the bus and seeing a boy reading a science fiction novel, he has more hopes for the boy. Real fountainhead culture. And you want your culture to be set free to function as a Um, you might say, an engine of superiority because you know your kids are going to be challenged. You want to have a culture in your home that is a a real treat to anybody who comes over. That's a real joy for what your kids grew up with. It could be just be an Italian or it could be whatever it is, but don't pick up kind of a a retail, uh, off-the-rack culture from the Christian church. They will try to sell you or give you some 
awful example of being hip and in, and in, and in in the mix. Don't get it from Bed Bath and Beyond either. Yeah, Bed Bath and Beyond bad because they have faith, hope, love, or live, laugh, love, and metal cutout things you can put on your walls. Which I will kill you. I will come to your house. I will kill you. Dead. Now, the next word on the page is the sex, because men, and I mean men. It's a rough time. Not just keeping your hands off girls. Pornography is a problem. Keeping your hands off the ladies. Keeping your mind from ever thinking about the ladies. But they're there. They're walking down the halls. They're like, us. Oh, look at that. But you're the parent. Okay? You should, by this point, by the time your child hits 14, ought to have had sex once or twice. You probably know stuff about it that they don't. So what do you do? You want to be stronger in and superior at the sex. Because the fanciful superhero approach to sexuality, like whatever pornography displays, whatever kind it is, um, they cast it as if only the demigods have sex. Only the demigods that are gymnasts have sex successfully. And uh, it's ludicrous when you think about it. Because you think about the average person you see on the street, you know they have sex, and they don't look like that. Only tan, buff, ripped individuals. You actually know more about this. There's, a, there's an artificiality to the claims of sex. Now, what needs to happen for you as a parent? Don't expect your children to have a healthy view of sex if you haven't had a healthy experience with sex. It's like they know the difference between you um, having real affection for them and you doing the duty of affection? You know. They already suspect you don't. It's too hard for the kid to believe, right? Even though they exist. And you can do a genetic test proving that mother and father had sex to produce you. You want to deny that? You don't want to, I don't want it. And at worst, you know, four kids, that's four for four. You know, they don't want to ever think that there was more sex than there were children. What you need to communicate is that your sexual circumstance is a stronger, superior circumstance, not there is sex being sold by the world and your loins, which is new to the kid, and then there's my parents who want to keep me from having it. Because the parents, well, like every Christian, they're a buzzkill. Right? Everybody wants you to, if you want to talk to your kids about sex, you don't talk to them about sex, you talk to them about the avoidance of sex. And you want to just draw pictures of how to avoid it. Not have it. Don't do it. 
which oh, is that the point, Evan? Morality? Yes. But that's not the subject. When you make avoidance the subject, when you're trying to show how little you know of the very intensity, some things you do know, you know how intense it is. Guys, you know, I'm 61, my natural force is not abated. I can't go across campus safely. Not because they want me bad. I look good in yoga pants. But, uh, <laughs> it's, it can be rough when you are in a state of ministering to your mature, somewhat mature children. It is a time not for punishment, but for ideas. And the ideas are all you in many ways get to lay before them because the exchange of maturity is exchanging now ideas for them instead of passions for them to help them guide their own life when they step away. That's what they have to have. If you want them to stop bad behavior with an idea, you have got to believe that ideas can stop bad behavior. You have to... You can... You can... Um, um, you can have uh, um, the talk I mentioned. You don't want to have the talk about. You want to have the talk about sex. You don't want to have the talk about avoidance of sex. Um, you want to be sure that you're making the distinction between a life of passion and a life of principles, because they're not going <laughs> to. If you want to have a throwdown between your passionate Christianity and the passions of sex, you're going to lose. Because, you know, I hear getting laid is really great. It's a big, big passion. And it's a huge idea. God made this idea. God made this thing. And you have got to have ways of speaking about it that engages engages your children so that you are viewed as knowing more about sex than their friends than whatever TV show they picked up all the clues on you know nowadays kids don't have to have the talk they've seen it they've already seen it on their phones probably they know more than their parents so you have to, just like with society, you've got to say, how do I get at this subject? And there's two things about sex that um, it really is. It's really important. Okay? Kind of that first creation in the world after the creation. Not good for this guy to be alone. Look at all the other animals knocking boots and he doesn't get to. I better make a helper fit for him and have him recognize it. And the first thing he does is, here at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. For a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's less about her becoming the wife and more about her becoming the one flesh. It's big in God's creation. Now, it's the image of the church and Christ. It's the image of God and the people of Israel used throughout the Old Testament, good and bad. 
it is, um, I mean, it's centered to the mankind going on. I mean, with the species preservation. But you have to have this huge idea of sex occupying you at its ordinate value in both the thick and the clear way. Now, when I say thick and clear, I have a side note here. The topic of sex has height and humor because our religion is both thick and clear. And that's a reference to a couple comments by C.S. Lewis where he chose Christianity above Hinduism on the basis that he believed that every religion, the true religion, would answer the thick and the clear needs adequately. The only two religions that pointed at all to them both was Hinduism and Christianity. And uh, Hinduism separated the two worlds, uh, but Christianity did not. Christianity takes the greatest idea in the history of man, the redemption, okay? The work of Jesus Christ on the cross and images it as a husband and wife. A very, any images are the grace to us. If anyone does not eat my body and drink my blood, they have no part of me. If you go, uh, I'm out of here. Once it goes to cannibalism, you can't, don't want to be in that cult. Our religion is so filled with the thickness. The thickness is the blood and the sex and the eating and all the rest, the, 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 the grossness, the down in the molecular dirt with everything God made. And at the same time, it is this marvelous schematicable, if that's a word, you can create a schematic of the thought of God regarding all of this and what it means, what it has to do. It's clear. It's thick and it's clear. And consequently, and I recommend that you don't just go, you know, I, I love my wife and occasionally we have sex and I, we made some babies and I hope we raise them right. That goes back to the stuff happens, I don't know why, why can't I have nice things happen to me? Well, because you're not thinking about anything. You want to have this turn out, remember, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. You have got to think it, you've got to apply it, thought, and that means I've got to look at society. Is he right that society comes after my kid as a new lord? That's what they are. These three things are new lords, newly announced, right on your doorstep. Some of them internal to the kid's body, other than coming home from school with them. And you've got to think about it and operate. Now, if you don't want to think about sex, you just want to go, can I just be left alone? Yeah, but that'll leave your kids alone. You won't want to know what to do when little Johnny comes to you and says, I have a problem with pornography. How do you speak to it? Parents that speak to with a certain degree of, well, there's always the scientific talk, you know, well, uh, that's a penis. Great, thanks. Um, or then there is the euphemistic avoidance talk, which sounds silly. Well, that's the when the man and woman love each other very much. Um, a lot of hand gestures. And, and, and you don't want your kids to be 
in a home where arousal is the means by which your family addresses it. You don't want it scientific, with that kind of clarity, you don't want it euphemistic, you don't want it uh, with arousal. And I, and I would say because sex is the high idea, I'm willing to make bets for money that it is the high idea of, of human history. It has so many heights that have been unmeasured, haven't been pursued, that you're dealing with something that's veritably sublime. And you want your kids to know that their parents both engage in, they are stronger in and superior at the sex. Because they're not just tumbling into bed together on the occasional anniversary or Valentine's Day or when they want another baby. Or when mom's worried about keeping her husband faithful. We don't want that, that kind of image about you. They are, you should be about something that is bigger, greater, deeper than they understand. They should be left with this hugeness of their parents' understanding. At the same time, because it is thick, because it's down and down and down and dirty, it's funny. It's dang funny. That's what we did with our kids was and, and, and Harry Blamers, and at the end of this uh, notebook I have a section from him and the Christian mind on uh, elements of that dealing with uh, sexuality with humor. Lewis as well. But this is an important comedy. A comedy with huge meaning. It's something that is... Um, your family gets to have that private joke when we always told the story of Gunn walking into Lamont's behind this large, large, large black woman and he's, his, his, his head is butt high and he goes whoa look at that now and there's also the great moment in Monty Python in Search for the Holy Grail where the father is trying to tell his son who wants to sing about, about the girl he's supposed to marry. She has huge tracts of land. And so in Wilson life, huge tracts of land, we all knew what it meant. And so that was the joke when somebody we knew, no offense, had huge tracts of land. Because humor is the right handmaiden to this sublimity. I have this quote by Lewis in the margin. It's a bad thing not to be able to take a joke. Worse, not to take a divine joke, made, I grant you, at our expense. But also, who doubts it, for our endless benefit. Now, there's some things in this, and I, I, I tack these are just portions on page 33 from C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves on his essay on Eros, Sexual Love some key things. I wanted to read a little bit of it, because I want you to he's smarter than I am and uh, sometimes you just you need the dose of clarity from a man who English is my second language, so I really have a hard time with it. 
the real danger of Eros, as a whole lies, I believe, elsewhere. I will return to the point. For the moment, I want to speak of the danger which at present, in my opinion, especially haunts the act of love. This is a subject on which I disagree, not with the human race, far from it, but with many of its gravest spokesmen. I believe we are all being encouraged to take Venus too seriously. At any rate, with a wrong kind of seriousness, all my life a ludicrous and portentous solemnization of sex has been going on. One author tells us that Venus should recur through the married life in, quote, a solemn sacramental rhythm, unquote. A young man to whom I had described as pornographic, a novel which he had much admired, replied with genuine bewilderment, pornographic, how can it be? It treats the whole thing so seriously, as if a long face were a sort of moral disinfectant. Our friends who harbored dark gods, the pillar of blood school, attempt seriously to restore something like the phallic religion. Our advertisements, at their sexiest, paint the whole business in terms of the rapt, the intense, the swoony devout, seldom a hint of gaiety. And the psychologists have so bedeviled us with infinite importance of complete sexual adjustment and the all but impossibility of achieving it that I could believe some young couples now go to it with the complete works of Freud, Kraft Ebbing, Havelock Ellis, and Dr. Stokes spread out on bed tables all around them. Cheery old Ovid, who never either ignored a molehill or made a mountain of it, would be more to the point. We have reached the stage at which nothing is more needed than a roar of old-fashioned laughter. And it will be replied, the thing is serious. Yes, quadruply so. First, theologically, because this body's share in marriage, this is the body's share in marriage, which by God's choice is the mystical image of the union between God and man. Secondly, as what I will venture to call a sub-Christian or pagan or natural sacrament, our human participation in it and exposition of the natural forces of life and fertility, the marriage of sky father and earth mother. Thirdly, on the moral level, in view of the obligations involved and the incalculable momentousness of being a parent and ancestor. Finally, it has sometimes, not always, a great emotional seriousness in the mind of the participants. But eating is also serious theologically as the vehicle of the Blessed Sacrament, ethically in the view of our duty to feed the hungry, socially because the table is from time immemorial the place for talk, medically as all dyspeptic to snow. Yet we do not bring blue books to dinner nor behave there as we were in church. And it is gourmets, not saints, who come nearest to doing so. Animals are always serious about food. We must not be totally serious about Venus. Indeed, we can't be totally serious without doing violence to our humanity. It is not for nothing that every language and literature in the world is full of jokes about sex. <coughs> Many of them may be dull or disgusting, and nearly all of them are old. But we must insist that they embody an attitude to Venus which in the long run endangers the Christian life far less than a reverential gravity. We must not attempt to find an absolute in the flesh. Banish play and laughter from the bed of love, and you may let in a false goddess. She will be even falser than the Aphrodite of the Greeks, for they, while they worshipped her, knew that she was laughter-loving. The mass of the people are perfectly right in their conviction that Venus is partly a comic spirit, 
we are under no obligation at all to sing all our love duets in the throbbing, world-without-end, heartbreaking manner of Tristan and Isolde. Let us often sing like Papageno and Papagena instead. Now, the rest of it is really good, too. But I want to remind you a few things. When he says that Aphrodite is laughter-loving, we covered this in our Bible study this summer on Abraham. I commented that Jacob was caught... Excuse me, Isaac was caught um, revealing he was actually married to a woman he claimed was his sister because Abimelech, the king of Gear, found them laughing together. The word was laughing. It was actually meant diddling, but laughing. We've got to realize that some of the things we think we're about in protecting our children when finally sexuality comes over the transom of the door and says, ah, I got a kid who's, who, who can't think of anything but sex for, a lo- for all the time. You have got, if you want them to come to you, if you want, you need to have bigger ideas about it, greater ex- experiential uh, pursuit of it, and a great sense of humor about it. Because humor takes, in some ways, the intense... Ever- I remember my dad did this to me. I was in love with... What was her name? <laughs> Not that in love. It was, it was, it was <laughs> Charlene Johnson. She was our church pastor's daughter. She's a Buddhist now. Missed that bullet. I was 15. I came home and announced to my father that Charlene was the will of God for me. (laughs) And I meant it. I meant it in that throbbing world without end sort of way. And my father laughed at me. He had heard of the will of God before. He didn't think that was it. Um, It was the best thing that could have happened to me. One, I took it seriously for a while. But after a while, you begin to realize that, hey, this is our, our intensity about it notwithstanding, because the intensity isn't not true. The height of the idea is not true. It's really important. But God so designed it that it also be this, no pun intended, fertile ground for a lot of straight lines and jokes. We understand it better. Your kids will pick up their own, I'm mature because I can have an erection. Good for you. Oh, remarkable. Never happened in history. And they want to be taken seriously. You've got to be kidding me. You know, you've got to take that humorously. You have to be above all of these things. They've got to begin to suspect that they would want to talk to you about it before they'd go anywhere else. That you seem to have clarity all the way down from the height to the humor of the idea. The same is true, and we've done this a lot in this house as our kids grew up very much in touch with what was happening because they had college students around all the time. The beauty and the new ideas we did not our we kids were not allowed to do a few things. Wear helmets, um, listen to Christian music. Okay? Those were the rules. Very simple life here. 
no helmets, no Christian music. Now, that meant they listened to a lot of non-Christian music. And the non-Christian trend musically was always, always living on the edge of better than what your parents are. We're going to we're breaking new ground. We're, we're into new things. I'm fine. I'm, I was all for that shift to going to rock and roll back in the day. Um, you have to be stronger for and superior about the beauty. That means you have to not be fighting with your children about why Zeppelin's better than Third Eye Blind because Zeppelin was your band. Because that just puts you at equal levels. And they know that puts you at equal levels. You've got to be able, and this is my, and I, I get to tell this story frequently, so if you've heard it, pardon. Davis was a music major. So was Michael. Um, Davis was a music composition major. And he's very smart. And he knew music composition better than I. And I would still beat him up in music arguments at dinner, in the kitchen after dinner. Because I wasn't arguing on the science of the music. I was arguing on the philosophy of music. And I was arguing not for Zeppelin because they were my band, but because Zeppelin because they fit the definition of music and art better than whatever Davis brought forward. Now, it changes, the, ch the change needs to be, you will have the discussion. You like bell bottoms? I remember bell bottoms. You know, hip huggers, whatever comes around again, that color, you wearing that color? You, you, we have a hard time of going along with some of the changes. You don't have to go along, but if you don't go along, you don't fail to go along on the basis that you didn't do it that way. You're not trying to insist that the way you did it, the way you grew up, was better, unless you can prove the way you grew up was better. But if you can prove the way you grew up is better, you've proved to your kid that all of their senses of valuing the new prophets of the age, telling them this, that, and the other thing, it's questionable. Because these are three very strong human urges, flesh, eyes, pride of life, expressed suddenly as lords, new lords, in the life of your child. They get introduced to society, they get introduced to their naughty bits, and they get introduced to the new trends in whatever's happening artistically. And those all become grounds for the new authority challenge the 14-year development of authority you were working on in discipline and affection and Christianity and all the rest. And if you're not ready to hear what those things do, if you weren't prepared to hear about sex and be ready, not with, oh, how am I going to have the talk? When, you know, the man and woman love each other very much. Well, I forget if we ever had the talk with the kids. Did we? Maybe not. They watched The Simpsons. They picked it up somewhere. They've had children, so they know stuff. If you want this 
to be managed. We're going back to that first thought. Did you preside over this in such a way that you understand what you must do when new lords show up on the situation? When new popular... What happens... Evan has a church. Been here for decades. New exciting church comes to Moscow. New and exciting church comes to Moscow. A lot of parishioners at All Souls because the pastor at this new church has a man bun. And heaven doesn't. Now, what's got to happen? Evan's got to either get used to everybody in his church going to the new church, maybe even closing up shop. Stuff happens. You can deal with that. You can see the end of things. But if I didn't want it to happen, or if I thought that maybe he's a false teacher or something like that, I have got to prove that in spite of the fact I don't have a man bun, and I'm not new and exciting, that what it is the, that his excitement seems to be about, <laughs> for as hard as this is to believe, All Souls is more exciting about those things. It understands that. And you don't want to do it in that desperation. No, really, we're going to put banners up with guitars on them and uh, descending doves and we'll get a drummer. Whatever it takes, you want to you don't want to go after it like the youth group leader goes after your children. You want to go after it as if, I know what sex is, I know what society is, and I know what beauty is. And I'm going to spend some time while they're still in grade school thinking about it. Living my life in such a way that I understand this better than they ever will. Because I'm going to be in a conversation with my son about lust. I'm going to be in a conversation with my daughter about why she shouldn't marry that non-Christian dude. What am I going to say? I had better be prepared. Now, there are people that think the primary thing is if I can only produce this brainwashed person who never thinks outside these confines. Lewis has this thing in Lilies That's Faster. There are, as in piety, so in culture, states which, if less culpable, are no less disastrous. In the one we have the goody-goody, the docile youth, who has neither revolted against nor risen above the routine pietisms and respectabilities of his home. And his parents are applauding quietly in the background. His conformity has won the approval of his parents, his influential neighbors, and his own conscience. He does not know that he has missed anything and is content. Would you be happy with that? Now, be honest. You don't have to say anything now. I'm going to have an altar call. Or raise your hands. But would you be happy if your child didn't rise above the routine pietisms of your home and did not know there was more in Christ than that because you would have dodged the bullet of worldliness he is content we ought to be braver I think that God has given humanity far more things than we're taking opportunity in um the uh, we have some bit here on the prig um, we want to brainwash 
we want them not to go to a college that will overthrow everything we did. Um, if you think you can hold on to them, if you're thinking that I'm not done yet when your children are 18, you're not done yet, but you've got to be. It means you're trying to hold on to more immediate control um, and you know you failed. If they guide their own life um, and you think they're going to definitely sin if they guide their own life, then you better spend some time confessing yours. Evan, yes. Um, I thought of at least one example of someone who came to this communi community from a homeschooled circumstance and was very much uh, the prig type of person, but after a time, he became the rebel. So he, he gave up everything after he had gone with the priggishness for a while and ended up denying Christianity. So it can be, even go both ways. You can get the prig and the rebel. Same kid. Just to make the Christmas letters interesting, I guess. So when it comes down to is if you've failed, if you get to this point, if you haven't failed, there is great rejoicing. Your kids get to that immediate decision about what do I do about my lusts? What do I do about society? And they find that their parents aren't buzzkills and blamers and all the rest. They're people who say, I understand this. God is merciful. He will forgive. If you've committed sins, let's confess them. But I want you to understand the greatness of this thing called sex or food or rock and roll or the society. I want you to understand it and you find that your family's drawn closer together. If you failed and your confession to God has been taken care of, things like I mentioned, saturating love and the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you need to look at your kids as if it were a evangelistic opportunity. Just like you would with another adult that you just met who isn't a Christian. You're not doing it through governance. You're doing it through grace and love. Um, along with, I have a, a note here that um, about my some of my father's wisdom on the matter. Uh, like like he suggested, you you give that, them that which they want, but they have not asked for. You also hold. Um, Rules that agree with their conscience. I may have mentioned to you this in discipline. Rules that agree with their conscience. That's something that that always helps more votes side with the parent than with you. And in self-government, there is a great passage in James 3. And this is where fathers especially. Um, we talked, you know, we've kicked the mothers around the living room a little bit. Uh, this is the problem with women. The problem with guys is they don't read James 3 and go, how far off am I? James 3, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good life, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and, je jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This wisdom is not such as comes down from above, 
but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For while jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, without uncertainty or insincerity. And look at the harvest. The harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's what you want in your home. Look at that list about the things that are from above. Purity, peaceable, gentle, open to reason. Now this is one of the things when you're in those debates, you with your children about say music and society, you don't have to be right. Because part of your authority is that you submit to what's true. So admitting that the band they played or that song they played for you actually was good. That was really good. I was really impressed. You send your kid away with going, yeah, I got something. I got one right. You want, you want to be sure that you're open to reason. At the same time, at the end of the list, without uncertainty or insincerity, fathers should be known for the good. Yep, that's the way it is. Zeppelin's the greatest band ever. And they should have that on a t-shirt. But, without that, that uncertainty, without that insincerity, you are still open. Because that kind of discussion, that kind of life together, makes for peace. If you don't, if you don't, I have here in the side box of slide thing, the partial application only gives ground to religion or irreligion instead of the holy. Okay? This is, when we look at these things, when we look at, do you know what Christianity is, for heaven's sake? And I mean that, for heaven's sake. Do you know what it is to be an adult? Do you know the difference between high and low? Do you know what discipline is? Do you know what affection is? If you partially apply, well, okay, we'll probably do pick up some of these discipline rules. If you pick up some of the discipline rules, you will have good, true things, will have good and true effects, but you will end up with religion or irreligion, which, I don't know which is worse, some godless agnostic as a child, or some pious churchgoer, but not holiness. You'll get severity or lawlessness instead of government. You'll get self-service instead of height and to desperation and distance instead of affection. You will not get, you will get some cheap, shady, shoddy knockoff of what God wants to give us and all these things. The partial's not good enough. You need, um, you need to take, not child rearing seriously, because that gets you enough interest to come to a seminar. But don't think in terms of child rearing as the serious thing you're about. You're serious about the living God. You're serious about getting laid. You're serious about how much you want to constrain your child to obey what is right. All these things you're serious about. Not serious about child rearing. Don't turn it to that because you, you, you've always got with child rearing you might just create this narrative in which you kind of hope that well it'll get better they'll grow up they'll grow out of it uh, you know they got some good friends maybe something will happen if you start thinking about the subject what we're about 
instead of the subjects that we're about, you might misplace it. So you look at being patient, excuse me, the divine, the order, the height, the joy. Those are things that they ought to be seeing in you. That's the image that they're supposed to be, you're supposed to be transmitting to them in this maturity. The divinity of God, the peace of God, the sublimity of God, and just the happiness that, that follows it. One of my favorite verses is this one, Thessalonians 5.14. We exhort you, brethren, admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. You know God brought you through an awful lot. Such were some of you. Don't be a hypocrite about that. Understand God's grace in all of this because they've got to figure it out. How many times do you have to be told about whatever it is you have to be told? And you're looking at your little child going, how many times does he have to be told? Be patient with them all. The calamities that come on us um, are picked up by grace. Incidental, you're going to walk home one day and find somebody sitting on your porch that is the father of some other child that your kid knifed. And that was news to you. You didn't know he owned a knife. But you did have a kid that knifed another kid. And now you've got legal problems. And now you've got medical problems. And those things exist. Incidental calamities. Um, I don't think... You think they would mind if I told about the pop story? The pop machine? Okay. My, my boys, the idiots, being idiots, had made a friendship with a young kid uh, who was not of good family. And he had instructed them how, with skinny young arms, they could reach inside the pop machine at Rose Hours, out in the parking lot, and just take pop out of it without paying a cent. So, the bishop's children are caught by the cops with their arms up inside the pop machine, taking pops without paying. It was funny if it wasn't so. I mean, it was, it was, it was one of those incidental calamities. You're going, the call you get, and you have to drive down there to Rose Hours. There's a police officer, your two sons, just crushed. I mean, they're just... I mean, there's an officer with a gun on his hip, and everything was wrong about this moment for them. Those sorts of things happen. Let grace abound in them. Let forgiveness go on, whether it's physical calamity, moral calamity. If there's repentance, really lean into the grace of God. They need to know that. You need to know that. It's something that you need to pick up those pieces and move them completely off the table as quickly as possible. Where they're no longer... That leaves them a big lesson, but about the grace, not about the humiliation or the embarrassment. If... I just wanted to mention that as a... Even when everything goes well, incidental calamity can just... You didn't plan it, they didn't plan it. They just... Some kids suggested that they light off that sparkler in that place and a building burned down. So what are you going to do now? So the, 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 you can't plan, but you can just have a lot of grace for it. The other aspect of this that we wanna, I want to end with is that uh,
God will be good to you in this. If you think this out, look at the material again and go, do I understand the gospel of Jesus Christ? Am I living a life that is a credit to Jesus Christ? What do I need to fix? Fix that first. Stop talking about your kids and what you're going to do. You've got to fix your walk with Jesus Christ. In all of this, I say you'll pick it all up. So you go, yeah, I understand it, and I agree with it, and I'm going to do it. Me and the wife. And you had the wife really do, and it really works. And we've had people come back to us going, thank you. It works so good. So things like that reign of terror thing. It works so well. I got by it. It was like magic. Now, success has its own um, temptations. You don't want to be the kind of person who seems like you can do no wrong to your children. I mean, to your children cannot perceive. I could not perceive my father sinning. So I needed to hear a lot of stories from my father about he said in this place. I needed those stories. I needed that proof. I needed to know he understood what it was to be tempted. You don't want your children to be alienated by things going too well. And secondarily, you don't want complaint or pride to rise up because a lot of people don't do it well. You just you want to be sure that that things going well for you, um, that he who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. That's just a, a good warning. I want to offer you success. It's available for you. But in every circumstance, uh, as Ecclesiastes says, if you dig a hole, you will fall into it. So whatever you're doing here, there are temptations that are in accord with it. Keep your eye out for those if you're successful. So that is the end. Feel free to also uh, be in touch with us about anything that comes up and questions about it. These notebooks are yours for your consideration. Um, and uh, read some of the things that I skipped over if you didn't have time to read them. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for this time together two days quickly over the things that we might need to think about. Bless us in our pursuit of goodness and godliness in our children. In your son's name, amen.